The Incomparable Podcast. Number 63. October 2011. Welcome back to The Incomparable Podcast. I am your host, Jason Snell. We're in the midst of talking about gigantic fantasy novels. In our previous podcast, we talked about George R.R. Martin's latest, A Dance with Dragons. And in this edition, we're going to continue our massive fantasy tome discussion with Patrick Rothfuss's new book, The Wise Man's Fear. Joining me on this podcast, as always, are Dan Morin, Serenity Caldwell, John Syracusa, and Scott McNulty. Now, I should say that The Wise Man's Fear is the sequel to The Name of the Wind that we covered in episode number 29 of The Incomparable, titled Magic Fridge. However, I wasn't actually on that podcast because at the time... I did not know the name of the wind. Foolish, Jason. It's George. It's George. But uh, it's George. I thought they called the wind Mariah. Common but misconception. Anyway, they the uh, the sequel, also a giant thousand page fantasy novel, mm-hmm. "The Wise Man's Fear" by Patrick Rothfuss, um, and I've read that one too. I I I am fully up to date on the Quoth saga, as it were. You can even pronounce his name. That's pretty good. So you read the first one and the second one. Yes, I have read. I have read them. I've read them both. I, I read the first one so I could listen to my own podcast. So <laughs> supposedly, supposedly there is only one left. Supposedly, yeah. I, I kept I kept waiting for the King Kill, Killer Chronicles Day Three, and at the end of Book Three, he's like, "Wow, I, I thought I told you this would only go three days, but I think we're over time. So let's just come back and finish it in Book Four. No, <laughs> I think my my first question for everybody is: Do you think that Book Three will? finish the past or are we going to get some present or is the framing story going to become the primary story at the end of this this run well think of how think of what they've done so far like what's what's the overall story arc of these supposed three books it's like bad guys kill his parents and i'm assuming it's going to be like he comes of age and and has some sort of conflict with these bad guys to kill his parents but we've had two thousand pages and what has he really done to progress in that story arc well yeah bad guys did kill his parents we got that out of the way college Yeah, he went to college. Yeah, learned how to make a magic fridge, and he kind of learned a little bit of magic stuff. And he he, he figured out that the guys who killed his parents are real. That's good. That's a step. Yeah, and that they <laughs> they, exi- they exist, and that they're bad. Well, they only he only figured out they exist because of proving the existence of some the guys that fought them. Right. I love that piece. That's it's like it's like discovering exoplanets by seeing the gravi- gravitational shifts in like the stars or whatever. Well, he it's also like, saw ah. the you know he, he saw, did the guy. See that he saw the guy, guy. Right. but seriously, two thousand pages. He has not made really significant progress in his quest to avenge the death of his parents and fight the like. Spent a, time, a lot of time. He spent a lot of time doing other things. Two thousand pages worth of other things, but so when I say, is he going to finish up? Are we going to have time? I don't think he's going to have time to just get through the main story arc in book three, let alone to have like present day stuff where the old man. John, it, you know. it turns out he never actually found who killed his parents. He just he just gave up and, and worked in a bar. And worked in a bar. Kind of <laughs> Learned how to bake a pie. Story. Yeah, and then where do you go? Where do you go with the present day stuff then? Rothfuss is not yeah. afraid as an author to just skip over stuff. Like when he uh... there was a shipwreck. Oh, the, the trial! The trial! The trial. Oh, it was yeah. really good. Exactly. Yeah, uh... and then that happened. Yeah. No, no. I think it's I think it's great, and I think that's how he can end it in three books because he'll just say, "Okay," and then a bunch of stuff happened that sounds really interesting, but I'm not going to tell you about it. And here's the climax. And then I killed those guys who killed my parents. It felt good. What was kind of cool about this book is that we do start to see the the. Um, the things about Quoth that that make him such a legendary fi- figure, right? We see him doing all this stuff that nobody else has done. You know, right. we see him going to that crazy fairy realm. We see him training with the warrior guys. 
Um, we see him like you know murder that entire caravan basically, and these are all things that then become stories of him. And we we do start to realize that some of the stories are inflated and out of proportion. I that's my favorite part of it, honestly, is hearing is in the present framing story when the people in the bar are arguing about like the stories about Kvothe. Um, it's just I find that fascinating that little bit of metafiction when it's like all these world you know these characters are arguing about this legendary figure. Oh no no he was twenty feet tall. No his sword was this thing or whatever. Um, I kind of enjoy that part of it. Yeah, I you know it's <laughs> for me the, the strange thing is that is that not that he is bold enough to say well suffice it to say there was a shipwreck and I ended up naked and penniless in the town right because that's kind of funny. The the weird thing to me is there are these things that feel like digressions and they're probably important to the overall story, but still at one point. So I think I'm watching a story of a guy coming of age and learning things in the university. And then at one point it's like, well, we're going to take this diversion and you're going to go to this other town where there's a a guy uh, who's kind of like a king, but he's not a king, and you're gonna be in uh, you're gonna be in his service. So you go there, and there's this whole digression where I'm learning how to play a game and how what all the coins mean, and I'm gonna meet the guy and I'm gonna befriend him. And I'm like, this is a strange digression. And then the king says, I'm gonna send you on a mission. Yeah. It's like, wait, wait, now we're in a digression inside the digression. And, but you're not done yet. And then when yes. they're on the mission, there's the the he goes into the fairy realm, and now we're, it's like we're three. We're inside the the round parentheses, and then inside the square ba- brackets, and then inside the curly brackets. Right? It's like how deep in it's it's brackets all the way down, Jason. Yeah, wise man's inception. And then and then it's it's framed in the story, the framing story yes, as well. Right, right, because right, yeah. it's in the framing story. So we're four levels, and it's in a book oh, that you're God. reading in the story of your own life. So so that's the part that that's the part that killed me is like he's bold enough to say I'm not going to talk about the trial I'm not going to talk about the shipwreck and yet something else like you're going to meet the guy and learn about the court and uh, off in the, the think... far east and then and then you're going to go on a mission and you're going to meet new people and you're going to have adventures with them in the trees and learn meet this guy who's got martial arts skills and then you're going to go to the fairyland and have a lot of fairy sex for a while well. and then you'll come back it's like you know wow and then you'll have sex with ninjas but I think yes. that the, I think I made this point in our the podcast about the first book is that I think the book is really about storytelling right so and Kavoth is building his own legend so we kind of have to we have to you know it's kind of a shaggy dog story right where he's just kind of bopping around and doing all these kinds of crazy things and the real story is the framing story that isn't really much of a story but he is telling his own story and and then so he's telling the story of how he got to where he is but do, can we actually trust what he's saying? I don't know, but that's a whole part. I agree with Scott that, and that's fascinating. I mean, if you've ever known somebody who is really great at like like sitting down, you sit down in a bar and have a drink with them, and they tell like really engrossing stories about their life. I've had a, I've met a couple people over the years who are just like it's fascinating, and you just always want, oh, what happened after that, right? And I think that that Quoth is very much that that kind of figure where it's just like you're just kind of hooked on on what he's telling you, um, and. And you you don't necessarily you know to a certain extent maybe you want you wonder where it goes all goes like you know overall but at the same time you're just too engrossed in these stories to to necessarily care immediately maybe at the end you were like oh wait well what is the point of that but I think I think there's a time when you're reading it I mean you're in it where it's just it is very engrossing. Let's recall how this story begins though how this book begins rather this book begins with I don't know how many it is because we're all reading it electronically but it seems like a big big hunk of pages where it's like. 
hijinks at Hogwarts, and he has no money, and Den is off in the distance, and he's borrowing money from Debbie, and Ambrose is on his case because Ambrose is mean. And that went on for a long time. Like, Jesus, didn't we do a whole, like, book of this stuff? Are they going to go somewhere? So I was relieved right. when they said, uh, finally, let's do something different. They, they repeated every single thing from the first book in the first maybe right. one or two hundred pages and then finally right. he then goes i had somewhere. to invent something and, yeah, and like, then uh, i was given a poison and i had to get my yeah. uh my tuition and it was large and i felt you know bad what? And... say what you will about the university stuff but it's all it's all written so enjoyably that i don't mind it so much and despite it and you know i'm a sucker for university stories so yeah it's it's repetitive and it's boring but it's fun and there's music and and you get to i feel like you're learning more about the world in it well, we learned about that in the first book, though. So that's why I was happy when he left that. And when he went through all these digressions, I found the digressions much more interesting than his university life. Even though, as Jason points out, they seem to go nowhere. Uh, I like uh, each, each digression was like, oh, that's a cool little setting. And then, oh, OK, oh, there's another little setting. Oh, the fairy sex was like blah. But even in the fairy sex, they had the thing that lived in the tree, which was interesting. And then we're on to something else. And the story about the moon and 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 I, before we go any further, I want yeah, to recommend highly like Joe that. Walton, who wrote a book that I just read that I liked a lot. Um, Joe Walton, the author, uh, Welsh author, is blogging a a uh, reread analysis of these books on Tor dot com, and uh, it's fascinating actually because it sounds like there are lots and lots of things that are really embedded in this story in the first book and the second book. Apparently Rothfuss wrote all these books, his first draft before he went back. Right. And then so, he had to go and rewrite. So all he them. knows. So this, it's not like he's making it up as he goes along. There's stuff in there. And, and it blew my mind reading the blog post because there, there is a story that's being told here in a lot of detail. Like um, the one that really blew me away is um, in the, in the second book, when he's at the the court of the Meyer and the Meyer has has married the uh, lockless lady, um, and she is a she hates um whatever Ademaru yeah yeah the gypsies the Ademaru uh, which which Foth is a member of, um, and, and one of the reasons is because her cousin sister aunt <laughs> something ran off and married one. That's totally close, that's, mother. His mother, yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, if you look oh, at yeah. the first book, one of the songs, the song that his mother yells at his father for singing, um, ends with uh, a rhyme that at the time looked like uh, she, he was saying that she lacked less, and it turns out that it's the mm -hmm. name of the lackless character who is his right. mother's real name. And so I love that that the fact that it, uh, upon scrutiny, this story actually has more going on than you'd think because um i you know you you get the sense of that and i noticed some of it like when he's in fairyland everything Florian says is in um rhymed couplets even though it's not written as verse she speaks in verse so you have mm -hmm. to sort of read it out loud and figure out that that's what she's doing lots of nice touches like that that i think crank up my my estimation of this story a lot that the, it, it is it does feel rich even though i am laughing to myself when we're in a digression inside a digression inside a digression inside a frame um i, I still don't call that a good story though that's maybe like he has interesting it, that's kind of like more like soap opera plot points where things interconnect no, like, I, I wouldn't say well, soap opera uh, there's, no. a, there's a writing craft a central no, conflict and and a character that goes through some sort of change and like i I don't. I mean, I like those in, those worlds and those settings, and I enjoy reading, you know, about them and stuff. But in terms of storytelling, I want a story, like to, to build even something as big and flabby as Lord of the Rings still has an overall story. There's the ring; they got to destroy right. it. They have this big long journey. They, you know, this, 
it, there's a bunch of crap in the middle, but there's still an arc. Now, maybe the third book will do that, but so far it's been two books of treading water. Pleasant treading water in some cases, but... It's entirely a, an arc. I would argue that the character changes from book one to two. I mean, if you look at where he is when he starts out, you know, in terms of, like, we get his backstory... And then I think the scene, the scene in that whole book that gave me the most sort of like recognition of this this character change, changing is when he murders that entire caravan, right? Like mm. in cold blood, essentially, yep. right? Like right. that's that is a very different guy. That like that is not a university student. Oh, I'm happy to be learning stuff and just hanging out with my friends, having some drinks, playing some music. No, and then I murder a whole bunch of people. Well, he he was always a hothead and a jerk, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a difference between being a hot-headed jerk and murdering people in cold yeah. blood. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't see it as out of character, because he was always getting it under his skin, and every time anyone said anything about his quote-unquote race, which is really just oh. his profession or whatever, those gypsy people, you know, I hate them, and he was ready to kill them. And, and it's like, anyway, but but yeah, that, that's if that's going to be where they're going to go with the story, there's a bunch of other stuff there that doesn't contribute to that. And, and, and like I said, I think the things that I like the best are the things that aren't actually contributing to the story, and that works against my estimation of this overall story john you're you're a, you're an enigma wrapped in a riddle it's true and uh, the story is the story of how he becomes the man in the framing story though right so it's not yeah it's a it's a story, story of, of his life him tracking down who killed his parents that's what uh, contributed to making him the character that he is he's not he's not really getting any closer to being the guy in the i disagree with that i i don't know my vision of the guy in the framing story is that he's much older than the guy in the regular story so i don't know maybe he gets there eventually. no no he's no. supposed to be like 34 yeah, yeah he's, he's, yep, if he's, that he's they say yeah. that he's he he yeah he that he's actually surprisingly but young he's, he's got to lose all of his magic powers and all of his physical ability in a very short time they have one book right to do but it. but does he lose it though that's the question right because he is just acting or is he we don't know does he lose it or lose faith i mean that's the real question well, right because he gets beaten up at one point but it's unclear yeah. whether he's allowing that to happen but or... yeah but it does he let i think i i read it into it that he allowed that to happen because he was uh you know trying to keep he's hiding from something we don't know what or why. Well, I I read that as him screwing up legitimately because he I, and I agree with what Ren was saying there about lack of faith. You know, there's there's clearly something has shaken him to my reading because you know the the whole twist there at the end is that Bast hired these guys right to come and try and trick him into being him all his old self again, um, and it and it didn't work. So. You know, you can certainly make the argument that he's he's doing this and all putting on a show, but that that and maybe that you know lives up to his epic nature. Oh, I knew I knew you were trying to trick me, Bast, so I played against you, right? But it, it felt a little too genuine to me the way that he starts to do something right and then screws up, even like figuring out his like martial arts moves. That's that's what he would do if he was faking it. But no, I don't know. I his entire his entire frame of reference for me in these in this framing story just he feels broken every scene you read about him in the in the framing story i mean it's like his hair is dulled and he just has sort of a you know a hunch when he works and you can still sort of get the the spark of where what he used to be when he's telling these stories but at a general thing like you you look at him virtually look through the the way that rothfuss is describing the character and you don't you see a shred of the man he used to be. At least that's that's how I see it. He's a sad sack. I suppose the counter argument to that is he's supposed to be this masterful performer too. Like it's in some ways it's like he's he's bought into the role yeah. maybe that he was performing. He's, they could still say that, that he was faking it. I mean, he is a sad sack. Yes. He, he's kind of like Bill Murray. You know? Sure, they could. They could. <laughs> it, it's more. I think it's more interesting if he's not. Yeah. So what do we think about um we about Denna? 
who is continues to be kind of this weird character horrible. that she's so oh she's so she's so great and 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 yet she's so she's also so mysterious and she has a mysterious patron and and uh with the exception of the scene where she basically where he eavesdrops on her as she tells the the girl that she can be a prostitute of various kinds or she can find another line of work to be in which i thought was kind of interesting but i i find her problematic because she does seem kind of like this flat empty oh it's the love of his life but she's not that interesting she's i feel like maybe because her story is so um wrapped up in the overarching story we only see her in one in one perspective exactly yeah you only see him from which which will be a very clever reveal but at the same time we have two books of her being completely flat and boring well, so is Ambrose. Ambrose is another flat character. We have no, we, Ambrose is completely one-dimensional. He's not even a character. There's a lot of... I complain about the characters in the first one, and it continues to be the case in the second. A lot of cookie-cutter characters, and even even the main character I still think is still kind of Mary Sue in the way that he's good at everything that he tries in an annoying way. Uh, and another issue I'll get to when we get to a later section. But this, <laughs> Dena is the flat-est because she's so one-dimensional, but Ambrose is also one-dimensional, but we just accept that, oh, he's the antagonist. He's not that important. He's He's right. not... The main antagonist, you know. I keep waiting for Quoth to kill him and have it basically <laughs> ruin his life. Yeah, bad you know? things happen. I mean, we we are alluded to the fact that he basically gets kicked out, right? Well, except he we actually, he actually on. does he, get kicked he leaves out voluntarily, point, sort yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He doesn't officially get kicked out. He's just strongly suggested that he leave. Right. So it's unclear whether we've seen that or not. But I mean, if he murdered Ambrose and like really had to leave, like that would be interesting. Sure. Well, they would say <laughs> self defense. Well. Yeah. It's interesting that all the settings that he seems to be put in are ones where there's an authority that has control over his life. He goes right from the university where we had a book and a half practically of his life being ruled by the rules of this university where you had to pay tuition and you had to do this, but you can't do bad magic against these people and blah, blah, blah. Then he goes right into the, the mayor, however you pronounce that guy's name, where he has another another place where he's not in control. He's got to be nice to the king's guy or else he's going to hang him or kill him. Like he's at the mercy of a rule system. The that bronze he, ring. Yeah, that he, he hasn't defined the system. And at any second, if he runs afoul of the system, it's a life-threatening thing, either because he's going to be poor and destitute and out on the street and not at the university or because they're just going to hang him because the guy is capricious and very powerful. And then he goes into the Adem, same situation. Should we kill him? Should we train him? I don't know. Like, he's always at the mercy of... <laughs> we'll train him and then kill him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. He, he's always at the mercy of these systems that he didn't invent. So, and, and even in the Fae, another situation, like, this character goes from one set of... It's like, I, I Think of it like school. Like, if you are in a school system where you have to uh, abide by these set of rules that you think are arbitrary, unfair, or whatever, every place he goes is like school for him where yeah. someone else is in charge of him. It does It does have that Odysseus sort of feeling to it, though, doesn't it? Where he wanders <laughs> around from place to place, and there, you know, uh, the Odyssey is a little like the original anthology series, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> and now there will be some adventures here for a while, and then he will move on. But born bureaucratic, because it's like rules, like the principal <laughs> is mad at you, or the, you know, the king's going to hang you, or you didn't follow the right rules for these ninja people. It's... It's the bureaucracy. The Cyclops had a very clear set of rules Eurodicy. on the door to the Cyclops' cave. It said, you know, employees must ha- wash hands before they return to work. And, you know, <laughs> all that sort of you thing was right the, there. You bring the brass ring, but not the, not the lead ring for the Cyclops. Because you'll be right, insulted but the wood ring, hang you. Yeah. Exactly. So, so can I talk very about the women? The I, I, yes, don't, I don't please. know why Ren doesn't no. bring this up because she's supposed to be the, uh, the female representative, but I continue to hate this treatment. She, in fact, is. I haven't, yeah, I haven't had a chance to talk about the women. <laughs> you two talk. All right, well, so, so I'll, just, I'll just do the sex part of the women. In this book, <laughs> both gets to have 
gets to have sex with the sexiest supernatural being in the universe. Just yes. for like right. months at a time, right? Florian. And who teaches him the ways of love. Years. Right. We don't know. And a ninja warrior woman who mixes casual commitment-free sex in with her training. And who, if you knock her up, won't be on you for any responsibility because she doesn't believe you had anything to do with that baby. Well, that's her culture. So this is... Yeah. This is that was the hilarious, ultimate though. male sex fantasy book where all your desires will be fulfilled in multiple possible ways. You have your main love interest, you have your sex goddess, and you have your warrior woman who's just there for casual sex, you know, for fun. <laughs> well, we did go 1,800 pages with him being a virgin. I know, but, like, it, it's just ridiculous. It'll... Like, I, I, it's juvenile. It's silly. It's juvenile. Uh, the, the female characters are... It's, it's a parody of itself. I don't know if he meant it to be a parody, but, like, can you well... imagine... Right, go ahead. So, so this is this is my theory on on women and in general the the way that the King Killer Chronicles are lined up is that because it is a story of Kavoth and the way he is going, it's very much I feel like every single character and this includes Ambrose and Denna and everybody else is seen through his eyes and as such is told through the perspective of him at that point. I feel like. I'm, and I may be terribly wrong, but I feel like the reason why Denek comes across as boring, the reason why Ambrose comes across as one-dimensional is because we're only seeing Kavoth's perspective at the age that he's at. And hopefully when we get into the third book, I'm crossing my fingers that things become more three-dimensional. But it's the older guy telling the story, though. I brought this up in the first podcast that, like, I was in, in on that theory, but it's the older one telling the story. It's not... I know what you're saying, like, well, is he telling it from, like, this is what I thought when I was 18 and I was an idiot, and... Well, well, well we don't have a counterexample, right? Because there there are no women in the framing story, really, right? No, I mean, it's... Well, and... We have... And, and that's the other part that... We, that's the part we see through Chronicler's eyes, right? We have we have no idea of how he treats women or how women are described. There's no baseline. We only have the, the past narrative quote relating the stories of women. So... But but if you were telling the story when you were 16, wouldn't you be saying, oh, boy, geez, I was such an idiot when I was 16. Here's what I thought about X, Y, and Z. But he never does that. Well, I don't know. I feel like there's a fair amount of I was an idiot overlaid yeah, in a lot of I this agree. story. But, he jumped but, off a roof. Right, but that's but then he doesn't say that about the women. He doesn't say, oh, and I long for Denna, and she was so wonderful. He, well, doesn't, he doesn't add well, okay, I don't, I don't, no, 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 no. Let's contrast that. There, we do have one, at least one uh, Ori, who I think is one, you know, a female character that's actually not well, semi, yeah, semi-well-developed. The crazy well, I mean, one, that one? Right, but I'm saying like she's not she's not a sex object. She's not you know a usurious uh, loan shark. I think she's got interesting. There's a there's a story. There's a story behind the, her. The only one that's not available for sex is the mentally handicapped one because him being sexually attracted to her would be too creepy. I don't know if she's mentally handicapped though. Well, you know I, mean, I mean, I think her brain is broken. She's yeah, but I, she, I assume she's a namer who went. And said, yeah, who went? That was yeah. my. That was my. But she's clearly nuts, so it's not reading. appropriate for Kavoth to be telling us that, like, ooh, I caught a glimpse of her leg in this sexy rag that she was wearing up from the sewers. You know, it's not. <laughs> but every other every other woman we hear that about, he sets up his friend for one of them. <laughs> no, to be yeah, there's there's a there are a couple other girls in the series as well. Is there any is, any girl who he is, who isn't described in terms of how they are attractive to the males? Except for the crazy, yeah, except for the crazy. No, girl. there's the um, there's the other girl. Fila? What's the Fila? She's always always described on how beautiful she is and how everyone's oh, yeah. attracted to her. Devi, same deal. Very attractive, sexy girl. Who always flirting over their desk, arguing over money. Dennis, certainly. Like that's that's the thing with these Coat. books. 
I don't know. Is a is it just a hound dog? What can you say? <laughs> I, but I feel <laughs> like it's flirting all in different ways, though, because I wouldn't yes. call I wouldn't call the Fila flirting the same on the same level as the Devi flirting, or on the same level as the Ferulian flirting. It's I feel every like possible it's kind all, of flirting. Well, but I'm just saying the the fact that they're different. Like you read you read juvenile books by by guys who are you know clearly a little bit sex craved or putting funneling a, an obsession into that, and you like, get like, all like of the Tolkien. female. <laughs> but oh, no, wait, sorry, you... there were no female characters in Tolkien. Who were... <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm just saying like when you read it when you read a book by by an author who is clearly a little sex crazed all of the women come across the exact same way so it's all Ooh. like all of all of the women you know are sexy for this exact same reason you always hear legs come up Better again example, and again robert jordan <laughs> yes robert jordan is a perfect example if you want an author who is terrible at women robert jordan terry is the person terry goodkind is another perfect example of this where it's just all of the all of <laughs> the women goodkind. have very similar yeah all the women have very similarly descriptive characteristics. And the thing that I find interesting about this is, yes, Denna is completely one. Di- she's one dimensional. She's two dimensional. She's floaty and whatever. But Kaboth says, A, that he puts her up on a pedestal at the very beginning of the book. He says, this is the girl that was completely unreachable. And this is why. And it wasn't like he, he doesn't go just she's unreachable because she's pretty. It's very much like this. She is this unknowable object. She's and literally unreachable. Yes, for for months at a time. He just needs cell phones, really. Magic, magic cell phones. They have magic, and they can't have magic phones. He's gonna yeah. he's gonna artifice one. I think he can make one in the fishery in about a month, right? Yeah, She's writing he... her own Queen Killer Chronicles. Oh, yeah, exactly. That no, would I... be fascinating. That would be really Well, actually, that's, that's one that. of the things in that Tor.com blog that I thought was a really funny theory, which is that he is obsessed with finding the Chandrian, and right. the Chandrian's... Um, opposition is this other group that is the emir right the emir so what so what if she's obsessed with finding the emir and they're working like the opposite side of the same case this entire time did 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 anyone assume that her her patron was one of the chandrian i mean Uh, oh yeah it's kind of where i was and maybe the guy he's playing the board game with too yeah yeah Mm. Mm. But who knows? I mean, that could be the. That's just the law of the economy of characters talking there, which is her. Perhaps we've yeah. seen her patron, and we already know who he is. If it was the guy who he's playing chess with, I'm going to call cheat on that because that character, like, you have to put in something that makes us suspect. And that guy was 100 percent straight up. He's, he's a good. A, he's a good guy. And to turn that's turn, what makes me suspect him. I, that's <laughs> bad writing. Like you good. have to. You know what I mean? He's. Yeah, I know. It's, it doesn't seem. It doesn't seem like that kind of book. It doesn't seem like the kind of book where he's like pulling. That's like that's like a, in yeah. a closed room murder where you make like the one guy yeah. you didn't expect. It's the priest who's been friendly the whole time. Well, that's a cheat. I mean, <gasps> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there are Spoilers. enough new characters introduced to this book Spoilers. all the time that I don't. I feel like it's definitely somebody we've heard of before, but right. I don't. I don't necessarily Trash. feel like it's somebody. Yeah, somebody Kavoth knows well. You know, one of the Chandrian could, yeah, absolutely be the case. Um, it, I love that though. I, I I do love the fact that. There is this super scary band of supernatural creatures where if you if you speak about them a little too much, they will come and kill you because they don't want to be known. That's a bad system um, for not being known, though. Really? Well, well, but it seems to work. I mean, they kill everybody. Yeah. Well, because they, right, they kill everybody, so they just wipe stuff off the map, so nobody even associates. Yeah. So they're like, oh, those people died. I don't know who did it. 
We're talking again. I mean, the whole book is surrounded around the the concept of names and stories and that kind of. So right. it makes perfect sense that you know names are S- stories are dangerous. Names are the most dangerous thing. I mean, I love that 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 everybody does deride this whole thing about him being like you're you're searching for fairy tales, right? Like. That was always, you know, kind of interesting. He's, oh, I, well, but, they, but they accept every other yeah. fairy in the book, but these fairies specifically are ridiculous. Because, come on. Well, it's, you know, even in a magical world, you've got to have uh, limits, right? You've got to have, you've got to have the high end that uh, that's not actually going to happen. something that's beyond the pale. Yeah, exactly. So do we like this book? Well, actually, I, can, I, I, can I list off all the things that I like about it? Because I do like a bunch of things. And I want to touch all on right. them. Let's do that. Oh, it's not real genius, Jason. <laughs> I, I like the women characters. Uh, <laughs> I like the, the, the shipwreck. Yeah, the three-sentence shipwreck. No, so I, I like almost all of the mini settings that they put everything in. The little setting. It's like the dragon hunt in the last one, right? Which is... Well, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't yeah. like that. But se- you didn't se- like the dragon hunt? Severin, well, I like that whole setup. That was fun. And then, and then we left it before it got to be boring or stupid. The, the Adem and Admir and Tempe and the whole talking with gestures and that character. Oh, yeah. that, that character in particular, he's one of my favorite characters because he was interesting and strange and... In the beginning, you thought he was this quiet, mysterious guy, but it, when he gets back to his village, you realize he's just kind of like a lowly runt of the litter, and he really shouldn't have done what he did. Uh, I like I like those guys. I like that culture. That was a fun little story there. Uh, I like the thing in the tree. That was a good idea. The thing that knows all possible oh, futures yeah. and and, yeah. and, and and tries to cause the most harm based on that info. That's a, like all these things are are basis of you can imagine like years best fantasy and science oh, fiction yeah. having little stories in each one of these settings. They'd all be good, you know. So the tree, uh, just for a second, uh, what I love about the tree is that it, it is completely consistent with the the kind of many worlds idea that that the tree sees all the possible things and knows that if it says certain words, those only appear in this eventual outcome. So it says those words, which is just wow, <laughs> what a crazy idea! And you could see why nobody would want to listen to it and why it would be really evil. And anyway, it's in the Fey realm, but even they're scared of it. But they're like, you don't even, don't even go there, don't even talk no. to it, do not engage with that thing whose name I can't pronounce. <laughs> right? Don't talk to the tree. And then there's also the tree. Uh, in terms of the parallels, there's the tree with the Adam, where there's the tree that has the like the, the sword leaves that will, yeah. will will stab yeah. you. To death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. So all those little settings, I like, the, I, like. I like the sword where you have to memorize the entire history. Yeah. Yes, every prior owner. There's so many. That's that's what it makes me want to read these books. Every, there's so many of those little touches, like the, the sword you brought. Up, the it, richness. So of many it. little things in there. It's yeah. just that they do not hold together into a cohesive hold. It's a story that I think is going to be successful. But all the little pieces, I like chronicles. So, you know, it's like, like the chronicles. It's like, a, it's like a good book exploded, and these are the pieces. And I, I pick, I pick, <laughs> I pick them up and admire them and say, "Wow, this is a cool piece. Look at this one, the shiny boy." I bet but you have to remember the awesome. point of the book is that he is telling how he became a legend so he's telling all these little stories because all these little stories are how legends yeah, yeah. are you know that's how our culture deals with these stories they're just a group of stories that right. stand alone and they're super cool and then they get you know exaggerated throughout the time and then suddenly he is all powerful when he's really just a guy who's kind of collapsing under the pressure of the legend that he kind of helped create and the people who don't know how you reproduce that I kind of drew the line on that one I was like come on people <laughs> I think we everyone figures out how reproduction works. If you don't figure out how reproduction works, you are not successful as a society, as a people. You figure you, this is something people figure out. I'm sorry. Right. 
homunculi. It's a, it's a it's a fantasy book. Maybe it doesn't work that way in this. It's world. true. <laughs> I love the fact though that they're very insistent on it because it does. It just puts to that point that. You you need to maybe re-examine your maybe it well wait a second is that just my culture who thinks that I mean obviously <laughs> not but but it's such a funny moment of like but no you're silly if only there was some experiment we could run to, you know, <laughs> if only we had the means the scientific method to figure out this eternal mystery but they don't they live they live in the rocks yeah. they they don't have any of that yeah right they live in rocks what was it what was it, no called them? Here. it was like man mommies or something I forget what the the slang term was for you believe in uh, it was uh Mr Mr Moms yeah. you believe oh, in Michael in Keatons. Michael Keatons you believe in Johnny no <laughs> silly person the second Mr what Mom else what else John today. anything else uh, that you want? I think that's it for all the things that that I all liked right. uh, it the yeah that that's basically it. no but I I agree with you completely that the the thing, as much as I mock these digressions inside digressions, a lot of the digressions were really fun and 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 rich and and enjoyable on the on their own p- part. Even if the larger thing, I'm like, well, wait, wait a second, are we ever going to get back to all this other stuff that's going on? Or but, do you want to? Do you want to get back? Or yeah, do you rather just hang out here and say, I yeah. can't wait till we see Denna again. Oh yeah, let's. Oh, <laughs> where, where it's all unrequited and awkward. I'd forgotten she exists, and now we're back and looking for her uh, and Severin Low, and it's like, just God, come on. Tell me who your who your patron is. No sponsor. Your sponsor. Yeah. No, You're clearly an alcoholic. Who's your sponsor? I cannot tell you who my patron is. Oh, but I love you. But but no. But I can't tell I you can't because the plot would go forward. <laughs> you don't understand. Uh, now I have to go kill a dragon. A drug addicted dragon. Yeah, my my absolute favorite parts about this book are well, two things. One, I love the fact that these are you know two almost thousand page books, and what this one is a thousand pages, I think. Uh, where nine hundred and ninety four pages that don't feel like thousand page books. I read each of these. I read them back to back because I happened to pick up uh, Name of the Wind after Wise Man's Fear had come out, and I read those back to back in two days. Just because it oh, just, just like both. Yes, I know. Ooh. It's I, I didn't have day three, and it drove me insane. Were you at a tavern? <laughs> I, I was at the tavern of my apple pie and cider. The tavern of my room. I think you know what's what's most impressive about that, though. Really, is the amount of mocking um, before you read those books. Yes, when when other people were reading those books, just just. I I was I was mocking these books. I was mocking these books because Dan was rereading and gloating does not become you, Mr. Moore. No, I was curious. I was like, oh yeah, well, I was looking over his shoulder. And it's like, oh, weird magic words, and they're traveling. I've read this book. Oh, before. they're minstrels. Oh yeah. no, you should have continued mocking because those are all valid mocks. Yeah, they are they are valid <laughs> mocks, but you know what? It's an incredibly well written book, and oh, it's not. It is not incredibly well written. Please, no. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, yes. That, John, that's what's keeping you coming back. If anything, it's it's the writing. I mean, in the parts that you enjoy. If it was poorly written, and when I, when you know, you say poorly written, those parts wouldn't about, like, hold together. Like the structure of the sentences and stuff like that. Like it's competent, and the idiosyncrasies are charming instead of irritating for the most part. Uh, but. You know. I think we call that good writing. Yeah. yeah, I. You know what? I'm not saying it's Hemingway. I'm just saying it's. It you know, not, it's, it's not Hemingway. If you can write a thousand-page book, if it was poorly written, yeah. then you wouldn't be coming back. Well, this is this is the opposite of Hemingway. It's not Cormac McCarthy. No. <laughs> if you can keep if you can keep me occupied uh, for an entire day for a thousand-page book and make it feel like I've only read two hundred pages, I count that as good writing. It's a, it's a book lumbus. Yes.
It's a page turner. Uh, I will give you that. It's it definitely is. a page turner. Yeah. It's not it's not it's Stephen a, it's King a, caliber page turner, but it's still a page turner. Kindle clicker. Also, I mean I respect you, the I really, really respect his ability to work music into this and to work like Ferulian's iambic dialogue and all of that. It's it's really, really interesting to see those those fields and those sort of things interweaving. And the music stuff, I mean, coming from a classical music background and reading these books, it it's really, really touching. Some of the things in here strike right at the core of people, like especially me, like as a as a musician. I'm like, yep, I completely identify with what you're talking about, and the way you're saying this is exactly how I feel. And it's you know, you you don't find that all that often where someone can capture passion accurately on the page. And I really that was really impressive. I'm still going with my exploding book theory because, but like for example, that that little piece, wow. that piece of the music, you know, I, I recognize that as a, as a good part. Of, even though I'm not a musical person, as as a good part of the book, there are many aspects of this that are exemplary. I just don't think they all fit together into a, an overall really good book, really good story. It's a page turner because I love those little nuggets, and it's like a it's like a video game where there's really cool, you know maybe really cool boss battles or really cool levels here and there. And there's lots of drudgery in between. And when you're done, it doesn't hold up. And is like, so as a cohesive whole story. So even though I keep wanting to go through it, but I want to get to the next interesting nugget. I keep turning the pages and each of those, each of those nuggets is good. And there are good aspects of it. I don't think, I don't think the mix is right. I don't think the formula, I don't think he's got it down yet. You know, you're, you're a rat. You're a rat in a maze, John. Yeah. Looking for that next piece of cheese. I am. Well, you know, there are good pieces of cheese here and there, you know? That exploded <laughs> off of the large wheel of cheese. <laughs> but most of it's a maze. Uh, and if there's not, wait, to, wait 150 pages to be off to another setting. <laughs> Scott, you're a veteran uh, fantasy reader. What do you think? Uh, I... I completely disagree with John because I think that the 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 beauty of this this story is that it is so fragmented and kind of building up into this framing story, uh, which I I know I keep repeating this, but I think this the the whole thing is about storytelling and how you know these different things are going to weave together to form this legend of this guy, and uh, I think it's built. I I could be sorely disappointed because I am assuming that it's going to build up to something in book three. And something will happen. But if it doesn't, then I will agree with John retroactively. Uh, I'm, right. I'm just assuming the explanation in book three will be disappointing again. I can't believe Scott isn't also assuming that as my fellow pessimist. <laughs> well, we have an optimist and Scott a pessimist. God is not an optimist. <laughs> so aren't you just assuming whatever explanation they have in book three, it's going to be disappointing? For you know, there's no there's no way they can explain anything to build up to the the hype they have over for the two books john says the glass is half empty scott says it's half full i say it's got half as much stuff as it contains (laughs) exactly (laughs) i i have faith in i think that he uh is uh, a very good storyteller and i have a feeling that he will have a satisfying conclusion uh and i appreciate that it will only be three books so even if it isn't that satisfying it didn't take me that long to read them all he's a good short storyteller i don't know if he's a good novelist Lots of good short stories in that last novel, though. All right, Dan, uh, Ren, do you have things to say about? I mean, it sounds it sounds like Ren, you were very positive about it. I am very positive about it. It was it's the first series I've read in a while that made me really excited to start reading fantasy books again, and that's that is a hard thing to do. Yes. What about you, Dan? I actually really liked. It. I agree a lot with Scott because he's he's smart and you know how that pains me um and so i i I know but i i I think we talked about this a little bit in the name of the wind podcast about the idea of this being a book more about storytelling um and i think you know 
that's a subject that happens to be really interesting to me, and perhaps that's why I found it so entertaining and enjoyable, um, that sort of meta aspect of, well, what is a fantasy legend, right? We have so many books that are about these larger-than-life heroes and the adventures they go on, and so it's kind of interesting to have them be, you know, flipped on their head to a certain extent and be like, yes, there are all these stories, but we are hearing them through this person's point of view, and we're, you know, this person who basically appears to be, you know, a bartender. Um, yeah, there's some there's some interesting contradictions going in on, on in there, and and again, like Scott, I think you know the third book, uh, if we're building to an end here, um, then it yeah, hopefully it pays off on all the stuff that we've sort of had put out there, uh, and I, I certainly am enjoyed the first two and, and look forward to reading the third one. Jason, how do you feel about these books? Uh, as a, a not a regular fantasy reader, you know, I I enjoyed them. Um, I. I'm kind of in the middle in that I I agree that uh, a lot of this is about storytelling and the framing story is important because he's building his own legend in his own way. And so there may be some level of not necessarily unreliability, but he chooses the stories he tells. And and I think that's interesting. I like the richness of the world and the fact that he does seem to be planting seeds of of stuff early on that in hindsight, or if you go and read a blog on the internet, you can see (laughs) he knows what was happening in the second book in the first book. And so it's internally consistent, which I like. I also share John's feeling that there are, um, there are times when I thought, uh, yes, the individual moments hold together better than the book as a whole. And that it's a little bit, you know, shambly and, and (laughs) rambly and, and, and messy, uh, and and it would make me laugh saying that we're five digressions down, but um, but that I I I do think that he's got a, you know, he's got a lot of skill on display. Um, and my concern though is is that John, I'm worried that John may be right. I think I've got some hope that that this will come off, but it is um, you know. Th- the university stuff does feel like we 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 already had a lot of that and we're getting it again and uh it, you know i i'm not entirely sure if the uh if the overarching story is maybe a little too messy and not um progressing as fast as maybe i'd prefer but you know i i'm enjoying the moments and i'm enjoying the richness of it and so i'm willing to take the ride even if if even if i've got some concerns about about some of the details. So, you know, I, I agree with everybody. Everybody's right. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. So, I think we all agree that we're all, when the third book comes out, we'll all read it. Like, even though I've said all these oh, bad yeah. things about it, like, it keep you know, it keeps me reading because I want those fun little parts. And I, I'm not offended by him. I just think, like, uh, what Jason said is true. I think he has lots of raw talent. He just doesn't know how to harness it yet, in my opinion. It doesn't mean that the book is not worth reading. It just means that I can, given his talent and these things, these little things that he's made, I can envision a better book than what he's written if he could have that the same talent focused more into into a whole. Like he hasn't quite figured that out yet, I think. I think that he is trying to tell a disjointed story though. So that's that's what I even I doing read, that. I know I know what you're saying. I know the thing you're describing. I wish I could remember there was some story I read that was very similar to this of a guy telling about the legend of himself going forward and back and maybe there's been several of them that's why I can't remember it. I if he's going for that, he could pull that off better than he's doing here. Uh, I'm not sure I'd rather read that story than uh, a different one with the same guy, but like, it's I I just think he's got a lot, a lot of raw talent, and it's, it's, aren't these his first books? Like his first and his second book. Yeah. So mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think are... that kind of shows, and 
uh, and again, being a big Stephen King fan, he's uh, I've, he's the author whose most books I've read. I think I've read every single thing. Stephen King had similar problems when he was a young author, where he had some raw talent, but he was just kind of a mess, right? And it took just years and years and many, many books for him to just figure it out and push it together. And I get that vibe. I think Patrick Rothfuss is better in his first two novels than Stephen King was in his first, you know, several of them. So he's got... Well, st- I have to say, John, and I, I'm sorry to do this. It's not as if Stephen King is one of your favorite movies from the 80s, but um, <laughs> I, I will say, you know, Rothfuss is way better stylistically as a writer than Stephen. Early King. books, true, but but Stephen King does get his no, act together around. I, I, I like I like Stephen King, but um, what what his books lack that I think I see in the Patrick Rothfuss stuff is just you know I. I I like the style. I think that Stephen King has always been somebody who's got a style, but his voice sounds the same in every book. And, and, uh, you know, he's got a lot, Stephen King's, I'm not trying to slag on, on Stephen King here. I'm just saying that I don't, I, Rothfuss brings some stuff to the table that I think Stephen King doesn't, but I think you're right in the sense that Stephen King is very good at constructing his books in a way that I'm not sure Patrick Rothfuss has got down. That's mostly what I'm getting at. Man. Yeah, Stephen yeah. King is, is workmanlike. I'm not holding Stephen King up as, as a great author, but he really did figure out from his early stories where he was... A, he knows how to tell a story. He knows how to tell a story. Yeah. And to to his later story, like uh, his turning point, I think, and this is obscure unless you're a big Stephen King fan, but the book Bag of Bones, which was not a very good book and not one of my favorites, but I noted that when I was reading it as a turning point in his writing where he actually finally had a little tiny bit of of style chops on display. And Rothfuss does have more style than Stephen King probably ever will, uh, but it's just so loose and un- unencumbered by anything, whereas Stephen King was messy and disorganized and bad writing and he finally got a little bit of style around bag of bones which nobody read and then afterwards he sort of pulled it together but yeah he steve stephen king is work he works the formula and he, you know what you're going to get when you read one of his books but it's solid it's it, every one of his stories his later ones after that are just constructed solidly uh almost like a hollywood movie only 10 times longer you know <laughs> right all right well this is going to be the longest book club podcast we've ever done but uh, it's almost a thousand. It's pages. the equivalent of a thousand page <laughs> fitting, novel. Fitting, two thousand page two, novels. Two thousand page. Yeah, or one two thousand page novel. Thank you, bringing it back around. You're welcome. But I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't regret reading either of these series. Um, you know. <laughs> That's good. That's our new barometer. Yeah, do, <laughs> do, regret books. They're not do you want those moments of your Whoa. life back? No. Can we have a? We should have our podcast later about. Uh, you know, books we regret. Like, uh, oh yeah, that's on the list. Chronicles. That's the problem. I may be reading one series, though. That's the problem with the series, though, because when unfinished series, because then you get to the last book and you can retroactively regret reading everything because the last <laughs> yeah. book just is completely crap. Excellent. Yes. No. I will do a podcast that is um, books, authors, or series that we re- regret or refuse to read. Basically, it'll be the the uh, the sixty minute hate. Oh, I watched that on CBS one. Sixty minutes. <laughs> hate CSI hate. Yeah. CSI hate. All right. Well, we've uh, covered two thousand pages worth, and it only took us two thousand minutes. So, uh, until next time on the book club, where our topic will be, if you'd like to read ahead, uh, the aforementioned Ready Player One. Not 1,000 sure, pages long. Sure, No, very no. short, quick read. Sure to be a lot to talk about about that. And then we'll cart back in uh, what are you reading as well because we didn't have time to read anything else. We were reading 2,000-page long fantasy novels about, about ninjas. Ninjas. 
Wait, are we not going to talk about what's his face books? Reem D. No, uh, we might talk about Neil Stevenson too. I got to finish reading Neil Stevenson. Speaking of a thousand page book, that's what I'm reading right now. I got to get to it and finish reading Ready Player One first. Ah, yeah, I'm in the midst. I know it's hard to it's hard to read. I never learned to read. I have I hire a guy to read it to me. (laughs) He summarizes it for you. Yeah, he sounds like this. Yes, it's it's Dan Morin, in fact. <laughs> I, the Dan Morin stale soundboard. I actually just use that voice when reading to Jason. He calls me and reads me a chapter a night before I go to bed. Aww. It pays great, guys. Yeah. Mm, that's why you have no time. That's why I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so until we return with uh, another edition of the Book Club, I would like to thank my guests, John Syracuse. Thank you for being here and talking about the good and the bad of Patrick Rothfuss. You're very welcome. Ren Caldwell, thank you for being here and talking about 2,000 pages worth of fantasy. It's always a pleasure. Scott McNulty, um, I'm glad you were here to provide your traditional wit and perspective. Well, thank you. I feel like this was a good podcast that exploded. <laughs> well, it was a podcast that exploded. That's every leaving, podcast in the series. Leaving case good you parts. That's right. Leaving good parts scattered around amidst the wreckage. And Dan Morin, thank you for being here as you are on practically every podcast. You make it sound like I don't have a wife. Come on. No, uh, you're I'm consistent. Busy reading. You're a consistent, consistent man. You're too busy. That is, that is the name of my memoir. Too busy. Consistent man. <laughs> too busy recording podcasts to read books. Sadly. I'm reading a book right now as we are on well, the podcast. Well, that explains a lot. It does. I'm sure. All right. Until next time, I'm Jason Snell for The Incomparable. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Always read. Read, kids. Reading is fundamental. Stay in school.